Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Chris O'Fall, the editor of the Toolkit. My guest today is Lady Bird writer-director Greta Gerwig. And today's show is being brought to you by Fox Searchlight Pictures, presenting The Shape of Water, nominated for seven Golden Globe Awards, including Best Director Guillermo del Toro, Best Actress Sally Hawkins, Best Supporting Actor Richard Jenkins, Best Supporting Actress Octavia Spencer, and Best Picture of the Year. Also nominated for a record 14 Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Editing, Best Costume Design, Best Visual Effects, Best Score, and Best Picture of the Year. The Shape of Water, awards eligible in all categories. You know, the story of a high school uh, senior uh, who's dreaming of leaving Sacramento, um, going to college in New York City, small liberal arts school or liberal arts education, and I'm sure, and I, I read the Times piece, I know you're sick of the autobiography, <laughs> but there's an element here, and I, it made me curious thinking about your path to being a filmmaker. When you, when 18-year-old Greta Gerwig came to New York, what was, I, I'm sure there's some element of that, of that pull of coming here and that education. What, was there a dream of acting, of writing, of theater, of film? Well, I had a, in high school I was, Unlike Lady Bird, I, I didn't moonlight in the musical theater scene. And musical theater was so much part of who I was, and I would do, I would do something like four or five musicals a year um, for the entire time I was in high school. And I really, I think I, I loved doing musical theater more than I had talent to be in musical theater. Um, so I knew I loved that, I, and I also was a, I danced, so I was pretty good at that. I was good at tap dancer and stuff like that. Um, but I wanted to initially I had wanted to go to acting school. Uh, I had wanted to go to a conservatory program and uh, get a BFA, like at a UCLA or or NYU or Juilliard. And I think I just 100% didn't get into any of those schools. <laughs> um, but I. And I remember I visited, so I visited, um, I was in New York, I was auditioning for Juilliard and NYU, um, which they did, did I, I remember thinking this is not going well. <laughs> um, and I, I, knew, I knew that UCLA had already gone by and I, they didn't look up when I was uh, auditioning and I thought that, they don't let in people they're not looking at. <laughs> they definitely have to make eye contact with you before they let you in. Um, so, uh, so, uh, but I was in New York and my dad was with me and he actually said, we should go look at um, Columbia and Barnard. And I said, I, I absolutely don't want to. I, I, won't, I don't want to do that. I don't, I'm not interested in going to that kind of a school. And he said, let's just go look. And we went, we went uptown and I, I took the tour at Columbia and I, I liked it, but then we took the tour at Barnard. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with the place and I fell in love with those women. They seemed like punk rock, Amelia Earhart ladies. I just, it felt like, oh, this is, these are the people. These are the people I want to be like. And, um, and they happened to have a interview slot, which that's really rare. That it was somebody had canceled that day, and they said, oh, you can interview. And so I interviewed, and um, the woman who interviewed me uh, was an opera singer and a, and a physics major. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well... This is just the place. These are the people. This is where I, I got to be. So, and I had missed um, the early application deadline. So I, I wrote on my application, 
if you don't let me in this year, please save my application because I will be applying as a tra transfer student. That's how serious I was about it. And then I was lucky enough to get in, and I came to New York, and I didn't, I, I knew I loved theater a lot, but it seemed very unlikely, I think, when I first got here that that would be something that I would be able to do as a job, mm -hmm. especially since I had just been rejected from every, every theater department I'd, I'd applied to. So, um, but I threw myself into to college and, and, and life at college, and I was, I was actually on the parliamentary debate team at Columbia for two years, which I really loved, and um, it was a kind of a part of my brain that I enjoyed. It's both competitive and performative. <laughs> um, and I, I, and then I started finding film. And that was, and being in New York and being, I took a film class of just sort of introduction to film theory. And we watched a lot of different movies. And then I started going to Film Forum and Anthology Film Archives and Museum of Moving Image. And I started understanding that film was an art form in not just mo movies, I kind mm -hmm. of, and also I didn't know if you grew up in a place that wasn't um, really New York or Los Angeles, it seemed like movies were sort of handed down by gods. Mm -hmm. They didn't seem made by people. And then it was in college that I, of course I knew they were made by people, but it just didn't seem possible. They'd be able possible. to the hand of the artist or yeah. the fact that these are crafted yeah. in a certain way. Exactly. But so then throughout college, I, I kept working in theater and I did a lot of technical theater. I, I did lights and sound. I was a stage manager one summer at a Summerstock Theater Company, which was great. Um, and I kept watching movies. And then I think by the time I had graduated from college, I had a strong enough sense of knowing that there were a lot of jobs within the, the matrix of, of film or theater, that there were actually things you could do um, that, yes, it was very unlikely that you would actually work as a, a writer, a director, or actor, but that there were positions that you could have. Um, and, and I knew at that point, I was like, well, I just love it so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out, I'll get, I'll get in any way they can t t take me. So in a way, it wasn't quite this, like, I have a dream and I will go achieve my dream. It was sort of a circular, more like, I have a hunch, I'm going to go towards it, no, two steps back. And then at the end of college, I went through the exact same thing, which is I was uh, writing a lot of plays, and I wanted to go to playwriting school, graduate school. And I got rejected from all of them. <laughs> so I got oh, like an MFA program? Yeah, yeah, I got rejected from NYU, Juilliard, and Yale. <laughs> um, and then, but at that point, I was making these, like, movies, these small mm -hmm. movies, um, and I had met this group of filmmakers. Because that's an interesting yeah. time, right? Like that kind of like 2007-ish, yeah. like 6 six, six seven. Yeah, 6. I was graduating from college, and I and over spring break, I went to South by Southwest. Because you, you, you have all these filmmakers right around that time, which mm -hmm. are just doing this whole DIY thing, yes. and I guess it's the DSLRs, and, yeah. and you, uh, uh, you got a co-writing credit and a yeah, co-directing yeah, credit yeah. and things, and we're a big part of that. I mean, how did you fall into that whole kind of like mumblecore, Joe sure. Swanberg kind of like right. world? Because it's not something I necessarily associate it with, yeah. you know, up by Barnard and things. No, well, um, uh, my my boyfriend at the time in in college, who was at Columbia, uh, Chris Wells, who's actually uh, the programmer at the yeah, Quad the, now, yeah, yeah. and um, and we're still really really good friends. I just saw him last night. Mm -hmm. Love that guy. Um, I he. He was, he's from Chicago, and 
he had done a student symposium at Telluride, and oh, so okay. had Joe Swanberg, and okay. they met that way. And then um, Joe was just finishing cutting Kissing on the Mouth, and I remember Chris had a DVD of it, and I watched it, and I thought, this is interesting, and it has a real point of view. And I, I thought it was, it wasn't a calling card for another movie. It was the movie, and then, and then right around that time, um, Puffy Chair came out, and yeah. also Funny Ha Ha. And I, I went back to see Funny Ha Ha at Cinema Village, I think, three nights in a row, until it ended its run. <laughs> um, I thought it was terrific. I felt like Andrew Bujowski was the American cinematic checkoff. I was like, this is great, and. Um, Anyway, then, so Chris Wells worked on uh, the movie that was LOL, which is a really interesting technology capsule. Mm. Um, and uh, he used voicemail messages I'd left him as found audio in the movie. And um, then the movie was at South by Southwest, and he was going to go. And I went with him, uh, and I met, I think that year I met, Ty West and Aaron Katz and Ray Russo Young and Todd Rohall and um, I mean others that yeah. I'm forgetting. Oh, uh, Sammy Lysenko, who worked with Josh and Benny Safdie, and um, and then it was almost like and then I went to go make Hannah Takes the Stairs that summer with Joe, and then I met Mark and Jay Duplass and Andrew Boljowski, and Ray worked on that and. Um, and then I, and then from there I did, I worked with the Duplasses. But I, while the, all of that was going on, I didn't. It wasn't. No, I wasn't making my living doing it. It was, it was something that I, I really loved doing because it was all these people I thought were really interesting and really making stuff that was new and stuff that had a, a voice to it. And it was a way to make art and to sort of engage with well, what would it be to make. Films and how our films made, and even because it was so small, I, like when we were shooting Baghead, um, uh, Jay Doobie, their editor, was cutting it at night, and I remember I, like he would say, "Oh, we need one more shot here," and you'd kind of you would see how f movies are made, as in as if they're a, a cabinet or something that they're they're constructed, and. Because yours are yeah. more constructive. I mean, the thing about it is, like, I can right. imagine that being an incredible experience, to the, and also that sense of community. Yes. Like, seeing that, like, yes. people are doing this, it like demystifies. Yes. I mean, there's nothing more demystifying than a four nature. Then, 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 asking, <laughs> yeah. then asking the actor to hold the boom because yeah. there is no boom operator. <laughs> um, but, but there, I mean, yeah. and Lady Bird, I mean, I think we knew this before Lady Bird, but yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's so perfectly scripted and, and this yeah. element. So that, that, that doesn't come yeah. from this no. world, but that sense no. of then transitioning into a way, because because yeah. you're right. I mean, I mean, Lady Bird is the is is an amazing script. It's, oh, thank it's you. By, it's, thank it's, you. It's, it's it's by far the best one I've, I've I've read this year, and it there's an element here of so much of your voice that I think I you know associated a little bit with you as an actress. Yeah. There's there's, there's a, um, a rhythm. Yes. There's a sincerity sure. and. Um, but also a, yeah. a humor, and in those collaborations you did with Noah, you know, I, I felt you could feel yeah. you could feel yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. 
And and what I what I realized with Ladybird is is because because you're not in it. Yes. It, but that a lot of that what I sensed in Frances Ha and, and Mistress America is in your writing. That's the writing. Yeah. It, it's, no. not, it's not because there is it's not my I associate person. it with you on screen That's the way right. you move. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Your writing process, I have to imagine, is, is long and involved. It's long but the, and involved. But that's yeah. not only the story, because I know everybody's trying to pull, tease out these uh, bio elements, but yeah. there's a sense here of something very unique in terms of, like, I have to imagine rhythm yes. is a weird thing to say, but it's got to be a big part of your process. It's a huge part of my process. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, as a, as a writer, my grounding was really in, in writing plays and admiring playwrights and... Um, and in, 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 in theater, the, the playwright is king. You don't change those words. Right. You don't change Kenneth Lonergan's words. You say them because they're great. And, um, and I think I had this sense of that being what I enjoyed very much. And also, the experience of giving actors language, is it's, it, it allows them to do what they do <laughs> um, with language, which is embody it and, and make it make it sing and I remember when I was in college and I was writing pretty strange plays that my the best feeling I ever had was the very first time I stood in the back of the theater and they and actors were performing something I had written it was like it it was it went like a shot through me it was something that was just so addicting um, because it's this combination of incredible control because it's, it's your language and also a complete lack of control because it's them doing it in the moment and they're in their own spontaneous life. Um, and while the movies that I made right after, right after school were so, were so improvised, the the, all, right. everything was improvised. All of that was improvised. It, I mean, we would have sort of the characters and we would have a rough outline of what the scene was, but we wouldn't have any language. And it was so useful for the construction part of it and and how things are put together and how does this work. But I always missed the having the 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 language as text that then you could act through. And when I read the screenplay for Greenberg, which I knew I would like because I liked Noah's movies before, I I I felt this instant sense of I didn't write this, but God, I wish I had. And, and I understood it right away. And to the rhythm thing and the musical thing, I just knew, I knew how it should sound intuitively. And not line readings, almost the, the internal rhythm of the language. And it's, I love Noah's writing. It's, he's my favorite writer, um, unsurprisingly. Um, and, and we had an experience early uh, when we were rehearsing where I said something that then I got the next draft of the script and it was in it. And I and it was this realization that we had similar brains, or the thing that he was responding to in me was not just as an actor, but also as a writer. And then we wrote Francis Ha together and Mistress America together, and it, it was a, it was an amazing experience because it's it's incredibly fun to write with another person because writing is such a lonely endeavor, and to have someone who's that you respect so much be the first reader of a scene because we wouldn't really we didn't really sit together and write it was mm -hmm. more i would go yeah, off and work like, yeah. work on a scene and then i'd bring it to him and then he would read it and laugh if it was good <laughs> or and then he would give me something and then i'd get to read the first draft of what he did and he's so meticulous with his language and he's so careful 
about how he constructs something, and that really went along with my sensibility and making those two films and seeing even the speed of the dialogue exactly, I mean, there's this sort of rule of thumb, it's a, it's a minute per page, mm -hmm. and we did not find that to be true. Well, Mistress in America, is, Mistress that, America that was going back to like the Sturges kind of like. It was like a Howard Hawks script yeah, or something. It, that, was like, it was like that thing. His Girl Friday is like a 200-page exactly, script. Exactly, it was, that, <laughs> it was that sort of thing, and just, you know, that was all in, in uh, hard to overstate how much that was part of my development. And yes, writing this script took a long time, as they all take a long time. And it, for me, my sensibilities, it was almost like I, it's not like a new thing for me that the script matters so much. It was something, like you said, I'd been working on with Noah. But it was a, it's always been what I've liked. And I felt like I've just been tacking my boat back there. I don't know, do people tack their boats? I just said that, I'm not a boat person, but I think it's a, it sounds like a That's thing. Someone lives in Brooklyn, sounds good to me. Uh, the, um, the, then talk to me about a little bit about this, you know, you then take this out as a director. Sure. Yeah. And so I, I, I have to assume some of this in that sense of the word in yeah. the rhythm yeah. is you, you have, you probably have a, a process for casting and yeah. rehearsing. I mean, is that, because I, Obviously, you know a lot of actors, you, you mm -hmm. have a sense of the process, but in terms of finding the person that could match, because yeah. these people live so lived in, and they yes. also feel like such perfect instruments for this cadence and this yeah. rhythm, I have to assume like, casting's a little, is, is, is that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, casting is such a huge part of filmmaking. It's because they, because you're looking for the right combination of Souls, not to sound too goofy about it. And um, I mean, for example, with Sersha, she, I was casting, I had not heard it yet. I, and, and, and that's to, it do you just. Read aloud, do you read aloud too while you do it? Is it uh, like when you, I when have, writing, when I have writing, read yeah. aloud, um, but it makes you feel a little bit crazy. I did do a reading with a bunch of my friends who are actors mm -hmm. who, weren't the, the right for the parts. I just know they're good actors and mm -hmm. I, I wanted to hear it out loud. Um, but it is a it is a listening thing. And in an auditions, I can almost just listen. And I know whether or not it's right, I don't need to be looking the whole mm -hmm. time. Um, but I hadn't found the person. I hadn't heard it yet. And then I, Saoirse had been given the script and she really responded to it in a very deep way. She had this kind of understanding she said, she, we had Skyped, and she said, I know I'm from this tiny town in Ireland, and it's halfway across the world, but I'm telling you, I know this, I know this. And we met up at TIFF in 2015, and we read the whole script out loud. And she read every single one of Lady Bird's lines, and I read everybody else's lines. And I knew right away, I knew right at, like on page two that she was the person, because I just, it was both in the rhythm of what I had heard in my head, but also completely different than what I had heard in my head, which is always the thing I'm looking for. It's the thing that's in the meter, but that surprises me. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. And, that, and I just I started getting ideas right off the bat. I started, I think the very first time she read the lines, I, was, I thought, I want to dye your hair bright red. And I don't know what it was about how mm -hmm. she was doing it that I, I felt that way, but I did. And um, she has a sincerity in the way that she, she says everything that it's all from this real 
emotional truth that she's never she's never judging it and she's also never standing outside of the material she's always invested in it 150 percent and then and and she's just extraordinary i mean you know she's just she's like the best young actress i i just i i love her as a person and then i love her as an artist so it's um it was amazing to work with her but then when i was putting the cast together around her i think i went back to really looking at theater actors for the most part because to me they 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 had this incredible skill in terms of a, a power behind them. Mm -hmm. I mean, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Lois Smith, Tra Tracy Letts, and Laurie Metcalf are all people I'd seen on stage. And um, obviously, Tracy, I love as a playwright. And uh, but but they'd all they'd all. I mean, I saw him in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and I also saw him in this Will Eno play, which was so great, called The Realistic Joneses, and. I'd seen Lori um, on stage many times. I saw her in Steppenwolf, and I, all of these people were actors I really admired, and I knew that they could do this thing that I wanted, which was bring a sense of an entire life mm -hmm. with just a little bit of space. I've been told by a few people that worked on this movie um, that. Uh, they were astounded for a first time. Like, I, I don't know if first time director is the right term, I, but whatever, whatever but um, how clearly you knew what you wanted, but also in a process of, of allowing a, a creativity in it. And, and one thing, please take a drink. Oh don't, yeah, don't, I'm sorry, I was like, suddenly I was sensitive. Um, but the, um, I was talking to um, Sam and also the, mm. the colorist, Alex mm. Bickle, and they were saying that um, the kind of starting point in terms of the look of the film was was a, a, a more of a, a memory. It's like a sense of. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk about yeah. that, like how you wanted the the film to look. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I'm Sam and Alex. I spent a, a lot of time with, and I think that they're both artists. And I love that film is a collaborative medium because you do you do have your vision of what it is, but then other people get to bring. Mm -hmm. The, they, their storytelling corner to it. Mm -hmm. And they say, this is how I tell those stories. Alex tells this story with color and Sam tells it with you know, color and light and framing. And um, yeah, we, we wanted it to look like a memory, but we didn't want it to look self-conscious ever. And it was about finding this balance. I mean, I don't know if they explain the story of the, the Xerox. Kinko's and the Kinkos, Xerox. Kinko's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has this particular, it, it, it's both it looks painted and almost more saturated, but it's lost a layer. Mm -hmm. It looks like a memory, and and it looked like the time to mm -hmm. me. And and the other thing I kept saying, which I don't know if it, on a podcast you could, this makes sense, <laughs> but I kept saying I want the film to be over there. Yeah. And and that meaning, like I didn't want it to be intravenous. I wanted it to feel like it was. Like a, like a, I wanted to sense the proscenium. I wanted to sense the frame, that it was this magic light box. Mm -hmm. And um, and through hanging out with particularly Sam a lot, um, we developed a shared language, and we he knew what I meant. But so often I think when you're talking about it, you're talking about it in metaphor, mm -hmm. and then you're asking to figure out how to do it technically. And mm -hmm. what's so great about collaborating with Sam is that he's He's so careful technically, and he, we would, you know, we'd go to Panavision and look at a million different lenses, and he'd walk me through every single one, and then I would say, and we knew we were on the same same page when I 
I looked at about 20 different test footage of different lenses, and I said, I like number seven. And he said, that's what I picked. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, great, we're on the same. We both knew what we were going for. And, and that's, you know, that was, that was sort of this language that developed. And then we had all this time to, because Sam lives in New York and I live here and we're friends, I asked him to do this, I think, a, a year before we were even prep, in prep. So we, we had time to shot list and talk and go to the movies and look at films and look at f photography and look at paintings and talk about the philosophy of shooting, which I think you have to be a little bit careful with because nobody watches a film philosophically mm -hmm. or they don't watch it intellectually. Um, These aren't, they're not colors, they're not interpreting, oh, this means that. Yeah, no, that no, no. Mean, yeah, but but to have it. it for yourself yeah. is, uh, is important. I also have to imagine for a film like this where, I, I mean, the stories have been told about um, the, this kind of making all the, the, the young women on the set feel so comfortable mm. and being so, so intimate with them. I have to assume also there's an element here, which is obviously where your attention yeah. is probably, that sense of establishing these things and establishing that language with mm. someone Yes. Because you don't want to be constantly going back. You want, I mean, obviously, yeah. I'm sure you're still looking through the, you know. You're yeah, doing, but, of course. But this sense of like, okay, we've got that work. You know, we've yeah. already tested this out. We've got this yeah. worked out. We have this thing, you know, I don't, I can be a little bit more here, which I think is like a huge thing for a, a smaller film. Yes. Is, 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 is making sure as a director that your focus is where it needs to be. That's right. I mean, I think too, that's the benefit of time, of having this time with Sam because because, you know, films are one of the very few timed art forms. Once you're on the set, that's, that's every minute mm -hmm. it counts. And that's um, a pretty vivid existential <laughs> thing <laughs> because it's true in all of life that every minute you spend doing one thing is a minute that you're not spending doing something else. But when you're on the clock on a movie set, you realize, oh, that is literally true. <laughs> um, and I, I have a finite amount of time. and so. That time with Sam allowed me to be present with the actors, and I would try to. As my, I mean, I, I had a. I don't like video village. Um, mm. I don't like everybody crowded around a bunch of monitors. So I always had a little monitor. As an actress, I have to imagine that makes you self self conscious. That's terrible. Right? It's terrible. Everybody's everybody watching your performance, but you'd rather it be like on the yeah. same focus. We're on set, eyes right. here. It's like uh, yeah. it's like you're on TV over there, right? Exactly. So I liked having little monitors that I would often just hold mm -hmm. in my lap. And more often than that, I like to sit right by the camera so I can look at the actors and not be stuck in the monitor and trust that what we were getting was, was, was right. I mean, I would shuttle back and forth between it, but it's that trust with Sam and, 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 and all that time spent setting the look that really allowed me to do that. Well, thinking about this in context of memory and mm. you know the, the Kinkos thing and that whole yeah. idea of like you know you guys that that you being of the era of zines and R.I.P. Kinkos. Yeah, R.I.P. Kinkos. <laughs> but the, the um, why? And maybe the answer is just simply this is the time that you connected with. Yeah. But why why two thousand three in the sense? I mean, I, I'm guessing that's approximately yeah. where you yeah. gra when you graduated mm -hmm. high school. But I mean, this isn't outside of losing your virginity yeah. to the Iraq War. Yeah. Not that you did, yeah. but, but that, that, right. that you know. But I mean, sure. but that that sense of like this story isn't specific in terms of tying right. certain things, or maybe it is. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that like a feeling for you, or is that? Well, I said it a little after actually I was in high school because it, well, I wanted it to be like in a directly post 9/11 world. Um, 
And I wanted it to be, you know, that this is national trauma that we've gone through, but that this particular town is so far away from it, but yet they're still going through it. We're in this war in Afghanistan. We're getting into this war in Iraq. This internet and cell phones are rising, but they're not there yet. And this erosion of the middle class that had been going on is sped up because mm -hmm. of all of these international things and national traumas and, and, and what that is. And I felt like in a way it was, it, it, was a, it gave me the ability to talk about now without actually setting it now. And one because reason- if Because if you're doing that now, that's then when it becomes, it, that's what it becomes about. Yes, it, you, yes. You're commenting on 2017 Teen, and they exactly. And I just, I mean, like, you know, the economic realities of that moment of even, you know, finding yourself in your 50s and needing mm -hmm. a new job when that was not a thing, a job you've had for 30 years of your parents' generation, that would not be a thing. But in this mm -hmm. changing economic landscape and the rise of automation, the internet and all these different things that all of a sudden you, you find yourself, you've become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what does that mean? And how does that function? And, and something I don't think I like shooting, I don't like shooting screens or um, smartphones, and I don't know how you make a movie about now without shooting that, especially if you're making a film about young people now. And I wanted it to be before that happened, but the, with the feeling that we know it's going to happen. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, those are, those, are, those are all my reasons. and. Yeah, I, I, just the idea that you could not know where someone was, I miss that. <laughs> one thing we have to finish up, just yeah. one really quick. Um, this movie is being extremely well received, it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Is, I understand you do a lot of different things. Is, is directing now, I mean this is such an accomplished work, mm. is, 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 are you, I mean obviously you are a director, but mm. is, that, is that something kind of moving forward um, that is kind of like upfront right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so much of who I am as, as a director has to do with the fact that I am a writer and an actor, so I don't think I'll ever stop acting because it, it, it made me who I am, and I think it continues to make me who I am as a director. But I think it's always useful um, to know what you would give up everything else for, or if, if, if it came through, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, because you're sort of judging this or that. And, and I think that with these projects, as I move forward and I direct, I think that that would be the thing that I drop everything for, that that would be the thing I would prioritize. That being said, I, lo I love acting, and I hope I continue doing it, because if, if also just because I, then I get to work with other great directors and I get to steal from them. <laughs> Greta Gerwig, uh, Lady Bird, thank you so much. Thank you. It's so nice to talk to you. <laughs>